1: The last romantic thing you got or did? Hmm.
2: Gosh. Right. <laughs> that was my point.
3: <laughs> right. It's. Here in college, my husband gave me a cookie for Valentine's Day that said, eat me on it. <laughs> Welcome to Fluster Clucks, where we talk
1: worry and other big feelings with Lynn Lyons. You're here because your family has some anxiety issues or you want to prevent them. I'm your co-host and Lynn's sister-in-law, Robin, and I'm here to ask your questions.
3: Hi, I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author. I've been a therapist for 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'll help you find your way.
1: So I think romance shifts a lot over the years, right? Yeah. One of the things that I think is key, romance in that Valentine's way isn't the only kind of romance because there's other ways that a couple who are raising a family together can really enjoy sweetness and connection and
3: affection. So Mm -hmm. I tend to focus more on those. But well, because I also think like for us, humor is so much a part of things. So we we have cheap chocolate day on February 15th. The chocolate is so inexpensive, which was just kind of funny cuz I'd get the chocolate and he'd get the deal. Win-win.
1: Stress happens raising kids, and I think there's a very key correlation with resentment and lack of that romantic mm-hmm. connection. And, and I think that that's the biggest challenge that most parents face is how are they managing their own resentment of each other yep. if a lot of things go unchecked?
3: Yeah. So we are re-releasing the co-parenting episode that we did before because, gosh, you know, Romance and resentment never go out of style. Um so it's it's really it really talks about those important patterns that you can pay attention to in your relationships. It's how to communicate. We talk about rigidity, we talk about perfectionism, we talk about how we have to be empathic. There's a lot of good stuff in this episode that I think even though, you know, Valentine's Day focuses, like you say, on romance and candy and that kind of stuff. It's really the day-to-day connection that I think we're really talking about. We really
1: want to feel like we're parenting in partnership. Mm-hmm. It feels really good when we work hard to feel that partnership. And it's it's not an easy thing to do, but I think that you have a lot of good advice and reminders of ways that we are bringing bad stuff to the table that's making that partnership harder. And how do we recognize those patterns so that, you know, we can help each other without needing things to go our way?
3: Home, work, parenting, your relationships. Remember how elusive the idea of balance used to feel way back in 2019? Now it seems like a downright fantasy. The research is emerging. This pandemic has been disruptive to our families in significant ways, and it's disproportionately impacting women and mothers. It's putting our relationships to the test. So as we work to support our kids, no matter how those partnerships look for you and your family, there are traps we all fall into. But we're going to talk about learning to ask for help in the right way, dropping that defensiveness, reducing that resentment. And I'm going to tell you why and how improving your co-parenting will help your kids more than you know.
1: My Facebook feed this morning was exploding because of the New York Times editorial published by Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. It's interesting because there's been a number of studies and publications about the impact of the pandemic and how it has affected work balance for parents and the work share of families between the mother and her partner on childcare and stuff. So it's interesting. You and I had talked about wanting to do an episode on Thank mm-hmm. you co-parenting. And I think we had a very different idea, but I feel like obviously co-parenting in a pandemic is a very relevant topic right now.
3: Co-parenting is always a tricky thing. I mean, there's certainly tons to talk about it, but certainly with what's going on now. And I think there is so much conversation right now about what's going to happen in the fall going back to school that I think that's bringing up a lot of issues in terms of what it's going to look like with work and school. I think we were a little, we were sort of hit over the head. With it the first time, and it was such a scramble. And I think now that we all sort of know what this is kind of gonna look like in the fall. Do we really know what it's gonna look like in the fall? Because all of this information about school and work and all these things that are beyond our control, it just feels so overwhelming. I think what we should really talk about, and what I try and stress consistently, is that you have a, a huge role to play in your home, and that for the sake of our kids, for our relationships, for our own sanity, let's really focus on sort of the power of your family culture, the agency that you have in your family, because we can keep talking about how crazy this is going to be, and we can certainly keep acknowledging how tired and exhausting we're all going to be as we do this particularly if you are working from home if you have younger children if you're trying to keep your job and figuring out how to educate your kids it's going to be exhausting i think we need to really focus on what what are the patterns we want to pay attention to because preserving our relationships as parents in this is so critical to our children's emotional health you cannot have thriving children if you yourself Are tapped out, if your relationship is in disarray. I have never seen a family where the parents are struggling with something significant, where the marriage is on the brink, the relationship is on the brink, where there is a a single parent who's trying to figure out how to juggle his or her life and manage a conflict with an ex-spouse. I've never seen a family where the adults are struggling significantly in their relationships and the children are thriving. It just it just doesn't happen. I think that
1: when I have read a number of these types of articles that have said similar things and pointed out how working families are really being left behind here, I do remember that I have the opportunity to focus on my own family and and how, how we can get through the day, put food on the table and do it together. It is helpful to remember that under the data points, are individual families and in those individual families are emotional dynamics and communications
3: that can shift and that can change. Right. I wouldn't be able to do my job. I wouldn't be able to continue to see the families that I see, to have the conversations that I have if I didn't truly believe in the power of these family and individual relationships. So let's talk a little bit about some of the common patterns that I see that are certainly in existence all the time, but are as we know, amplified by what's going on now. How many times have we said that what this pandemic has done is it sort of of let us see what's really going on, sometimes in not such a great way, and sometimes in good ways too. There are really some patterns that I think that as we're paying attention to our co-parenting as we're going through this really can make a difference. If you can really just acknowledge, do some self-observing, some self-awareness. One of the first ones is the my way or the highway pattern. And that comes back to that rigidity that I've talked about, that perfectionism. And what happens oftentimes is somebody is in charge. Somebody is good at doing certain things. They have certain roles and they demand that things be done the way they do them. And then the other partner, if you are in a relationship, the other partner tries to help, wants to help, wants to do things, but you don't accept the help because it doesn't live up to your standards. So the other partner just sort of says, forget it, I'm out. The other person says, I'm not even going to bother, which then you get angry because the person isn't helping, but you've been giving the message consistently to your partner. You don't do it the way it needs to be done I need to take over.
1: If you have a perfectionist personality and you want things done a certain way, it's very hard to relinquish that control of a father or another partner just messing it up.
3: Yeah. I I can't tell you how many people that I talk to, how many families that I talk to have huge issues about the way you load the dishwasher. It's just sort of this little little window into perfectionism. But a partner in a relationship, so somebody tries to help out and they load the dishwasher and then the other person comes by and unloads the dishwasher and reloads it. Now, if you just spent time trying to help out and load the dishwasher and then somebody else comes behind you and unloads it and redoes it, you're not going to do it again. You just wasted your time. And in the person redoing it, even though the words may not be spoken, the cloud of disapproval that hangs over that kitchen is enormous because you're saying to that person, you didn't do it right. You want to pay attention to that pattern. And and also somebody will say, well, I can't let anybody care for my children because they won't do it the way I do it. And sometimes moms won't even let the dads care for the children, or they won't let the mother-in-law take the kids, or they won't let anybody else care for the children because it won't be done the way they want it to be done. And there they are shooting themselves in the foot because they are not able to A, let their children have another experience with somebody else who might do things differently, which is actually really good for kids, or then you become resentful because you're the one carrying the child burden because you won't let anybody step in and do it differently.
1: In one of my favorite pregnancy books, and I'm trying to remember which of the few that I really loved back when I was reading about becoming a parent, this was actually one of the articles. And it said, you can't do all of this alone. And if you want to encourage help, you have to, from the beginning, allow for everyone to do it in the way that they want to do it. And that there's no one way. So true. I mean, I get so much parenting advice from you. But that was, this was one I got from
3: a book. Hey, there are um, some pregnancy books that I read that were so awful. What to expect when you're expecting is the preclude to
1: anxious kids and anxious parents.
3: (laughs) Okay, except there was another one called, I don't even know if it's out anymore. Every week, they were like, this could happen. What happens if, I mean, it was terrible. Like, (laughs) what happens if you have a blood clot during week 13? I mean, it was awful. It was so bad. (laughs) All right. We'll 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 have to do that. We can talk about that later. Here's another pattern that's really not so great, which I think a lot of women in particular fall into is the um, I'm not even going to bother to ask anymore pattern. So I might as well do it myself. It's easier to do it myself than to have the fight with you. So rather than me ask you and ask you and ask you, and then it turn into an argument or turn into a fight, I'm just going to do it myself. If you're not going to clean the kitchen or you're not going to take the trash out or you're not going to, et cetera, I'll just do it myself. And then you take on almost this martyr role. And so you start feeling angry and resentful because people aren't helping you. And then they'll say, well, you didn't ask that is a really common pattern that I see also. And as I'm thinking of it, it, they sort of tie together because then somebody will say, they'll say, I asked you to empty the dishwasher. And they say, well, I was going to do it. Well, I I needed you. I wanted you to do it now. You can let somebody wait 20 minutes to empty the dishwasher unless there's some sort of time limit on it. But yeah, all of that rigidity and the sort of things need to be done my way. It really makes it hard to co-parent. If you are a mom who's trying to keep your calendar organized, keep your family's appointments where they need to be, then I'll tell you. The Skylight Calendar is a product that you ought to check out. You know how it is. Running a household can be pure chaos and it can be so stressful. This is why you need to check out the Skylight Calendar. It is going to make your life easier, mom. It really is. The Skylight Calendar is a smart touchscreen calendar and organizer for all your chores, groceries, to-do lists, and a great way to manage appointments to make sure they never overlap and they're never missed. It helps keep busy households on track so families can get time back for moments that really matter. The Skylight calendar is so easy to use and to set up. It's not gonna frustrate you. You're gonna be able to get it going within minutes. It syncs events from other family calendars, including Google, Apple, Outlook. You can add events directly using the touchscreen or with the free Skylight mobile app, Updates to linked calendars will automatically appear on the Skylight calendar at home. So no more worrying that you guys are going to forget something. No more cluttered paper calendars. It shows all family events together in one spot. The events are color coded so you can easily see what everyone has going on each week. SkylightCal.com slash Flusterclux. That's S K Y L I G H T C A L dot com slash Flusterclux. Mother's Day is coming right up, so order today to get 15% off your purchase at SkylightCal.com slash Flusterclux. .com The other thing that I see as a pattern that's really tricky is and we all come in and we talked about this in a previous episode in terms of the emotional baggage we we bring in but we also bring in the who does what in a family baggage. So what what modeling did you have from your family of origin? of how you co-parent. And we like to think that we're so advanced that things have changed so much, but the research doesn't show that in terms of who does what in a family. So paying attention to where you learned whose job it is to do what and how you ask for help and what the expectations are A lot of that, if you can have a, if you can have a conversation with your partner about that, it can be very enlightening. The one thing in my family, my husband's family that I'm grateful for is that my father-in-law did all the cooking and he was a great cook. He, that was his, that was his love language. So my, my husband never had any issue about cooking and does the cooking. But that's something I'm grateful for because in my family, my dad knows how to make a bologna sandwich. (laughs) And a hot dog. (laughs) And a hot dog, which is just another version of a bologna sandwich. (laughs) That's right. The elongated version. Yeah. yeah. There's a flat hot dog and a a rolled up hot dog. (laughs) You know, pay attention to that. Pay attention to what was modeled in your family of origin. And so- Right now, you should be thinking about how do you want to make some shifts and some changes in your family. I think one thing you should know, and I'm sure, Robin, you will attest to this as well, is that when you're dealing with these issues and when you're trying to figure out how to co-parent, the balance that I have in my family, and my kids are older now, although, again, they're living in my house again, which is fine. But the balance that I figured out in my family, that didn't come easy. And the pattern, the the shift didn't happen when we were sitting down having a cup of coffee on Sunday morning. It happened because things weren't working. And because we had to make shifts because certain circumstances were foisted upon us. And so I think that this is a circumstance that has been foisted upon us. This is something that we're, we're not choosing to live in this pandemic. But I, I want you to know, I want you to hear that, that this is, this is hard work and it doesn't come easily. And we're often forced into it. We are being forced into it now. The benefits can be fantastic, but we're still being pushed a little bit to address this because we need to, not because we want to.
1: Necessity is the mother of invention. Mm-hmm. And I think that my husband and I figured out our co-parenting balance.
3: Outside factors forced us to figure it out. Yep. Same with me. Same with my family. Outside forces factored in. We had to adjust. We had to adapt. And I think that, that as this gets trickier, and I think it will get trickier, it's so important to address the co-parenting If you can drop the defensiveness and the resentment, I think that being able to to go into it, the goal you have is the same. The goal is to create as much balance in your family as possible for the sake of your relationship and for the sake of your kids. And if you can do it without the defensiveness, as if you're working on the same team, because you are on the same team, it definitely makes things easier. The, The challenge of this the challenges of figuring all this stuff out, as as Dead Perlman said so eloquently in her op ed, the challenges are going to get bigger. This is going to get it harder before it gets easier. We all know that based on what we're what we're looking at. So dropping that defensiveness.
1: Yeah, I think resentment is even bigger for for what I have observed personally, and among other friends, and they share their parenting experiences. Mm -hmm. I think that typically, especially if it's the mom who births the baby, who has that initially when you have a newborn, for a lot of reasons, the work is skewed more to that mother, the mother Mm -hmm. takes on this burden. And even if you have a husband or a partner who says, I will do anything I can to help you and support you, but I can't I can't do some of the things you're doing. Like if you're breastfeeding, for example, I can't take away the breastfeeding because even if I fed a bottle, I still you still have to pump that milk mm-hmm. for me to feed the baby. So I just remember thinking to my husband when he offered like, what is it that I need to do? I remember saying like, there's nothing dude that's enough right now in my newborn exhaustion that's gonna make up for what I have to do. But the thing is biology sort of dictates that in many families, up front and then how do you move out of that dynamic though right and and if you don't i think that there are a lot of couples i'm willing to bet but you're going to know firsthand they never sort of got out of that initially necessitated dynamic of putting it all on the mother and they just have 10 15 20 years of resentment just lingering in that level of marriage or partnership that is really really toxic And to move through it and to get rid of that resentment is a really liberating thing.
3: It is really liberating. One of the ways you can sort of measure your resentment a little bit, if you're wondering whether or not you're carrying this resentment around, is to think about how if somebody asked you the question, what does your partner do to support you when you're overwhelmed? How does your partner step in when there's A lot going on for you, and think about how you would answer that question. I think that one of the things I've noticed when I'm talking to my my friends, and also when I'm in my office, is how quickly or how automatically I hear the language of denigration of that they're not doing it good enough, or there's nothing they can do, or I've tried. It's this hopelessness, but also this real resentment and this real denigration. It doesn't sound like a partnership when they talk about it. So just think about that. Think about how you would answer that question if somebody asked it to you, and then what you might do in order to shift it a little bit.
1: This is going to sound crazy, but I saw one episode of Celebrity Wife Swap, and I don't even remember when that show was on. You only watched one episode? (laughs) I I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) In all honesty... That is the truth. I don't recall seeing another episode of the show. But the one that I saw was really profound. And so I should have watched more, even though I don't know that they all were. I think you luckily just watched the one profound
3: episode. (laughs) That's
1: probably true. (laughs) And so it was like not even B-list celebrities. I'm so sorry for it was like c celebrity. So, okay. So he and his wife had children and I don't remember the name of the other celebrity couple. And it was really interesting because in terms of co-parenting guy and his wife were really dedicated parents. They both put a lot into sharing the home life together, sharing the parenting. And she was really organized and did a lot the other couple lived not in suburban LA, but like more in Beverly Hills, and they had a lot of hired help. Mm-hmm. So so the dad might have been like a kind of a, a semi-famous musician at one point or something, or, or the I don't remember. But the point is they had someone who came in and was kind of the nanny. They had someone else who came in and sort of helped you know, prepare food and things. And the family spent the day apart. The mom and the kids... All did their own things. I think the dad was a musician because he was hiding in his music studio Mm -hmm. most of the time in the house. But the point is, when the couples reunited with their proper spouses at the end, when the guy and his wife, who they were a team, truly accomplishing things every day together, they wept and embraced. And they've put so much into their partnership. Mm -hmm. They really, really did not enjoy being apart. Yeah. And it showed that shared labor also fosters real connection in in a way that it made the other couple feel very self-conscious that they clearly did not have that connection. And so it was very powerful to see that taking on the work that we often feel so overwhelmed by, when we take it on together, it's actually a beautiful foundation for a family because then the, the kids are obviously benefiting from it. The couple's benefiting from it. And I just thought it's so sad that that's not how we frame the work of parenting and home life but it is the way we should
3: be. That's such a great story because I think what you're saying is that the fact that these two people were working together and there was a level of respect and a level of connection and a level of intimacy and a level of partnership versus saying, okay, so this is your job and this is my job. But what you saw was that extra level of, this is the connection that we feel because we're, we're truly stepping in to help each other and to figure out how we can support each other. Well,
1: and you could also say that the couple, in the relationship that we're so connected, if you were to ask them, probably, I mean, I'm just guessing, like, well, what is it that you do? And what is it that your partner does? They would both describe it without resentment. They would both describe it with commitment and with positivity, right? Right. This is what I do. And then this is what he does. And it's really essential that we do this together.
3: Right. So commitment and, and support rather than resentment and obligation. Yes. Yeah.
1: Or and not only that, I mean, sadly, how many parents and often fathers uh not all of course yeah but how easy is it to include evasion right like yeah. just disappearing at the office mm-hmm. disappearing behind work so that they they don't show up too
3: yeah well and that's what i think's been so interesting about this is that you know we were talking about how things are are foisted upon us that i've been reading articles also that that there are families where a father has lost his job. And again, I'm talking about that stereotypical sort of family where the mom and again, the research bears this out. So if you're thinking like, that's not true, the research bears it out is that the mom was doing the majority of the childcare and the home care in addition to her work. And then when dad was furloughed, he stepped in and took over. And what an interesting shift happened in the family during that I've got I've got a few families that I work with where that has happened during the pandemic, where dad has been laid off or lost lost a job. Mom has continued to work and is now as the primary breadwinner. And it is very interesting to hear them talk about how the dynamics in the family have changed because dad has stepped into roles that he didn't have before. And a lot of it, actually, in a very positive way, I must say.
1: You can't have a conversation about this without being open to the fact that economics plays hugely. Mm-hmm. I happen to have a lot of friends where the wife is the primary breadwinner and makes more than her husband, and then, of course, I have a lot of friends who it's two moms, and you know, so there's an economic decision that's driving how they're going to uh, determine who has more parenting responsibilities and who has more work responsibilities. So, I mean, and now more than ever, unfortunately, when we're facing all sorts of economic uncertainties, it still has to drive a conversation. But there are so many micro moments that can be determined together.
3: I think that's so important to just pay attention to those micro moments. It really is these conversations that we have and the the emotional tone of these conversations. Just think for a moment as you're as you're listening to this. What it's like, you know, I was telling that story before uh, uh, about watching my dad vacuum while he was dancing to the 50s music and how that as a a grown up person still made me feel so good to know that my dad was happy in that moment. Think of what it's like when kids watch their parents support each other. Think about what it's like when, when kids watch their parents show such gratitude or support or commitment to each other, even over small things like, let me do that for you. Or, you know what? That was a fantastic meal. I'm going to load this dishwasher because you cooked that great meal. And then the other person says, and I'm going to let you load the dishwasher just the way you want to. All of those little moments add up to our kids seeing, seeing that connection, seeing that intimacy, seeing that support. All of that stuff matters. It all matters so, so much.
1: Let me ask you this question for listeners who know that their marriage isn't the strongest foundation. Mm -hmm. I would assume, because I know. Parents, we tend to put resources towards our children long before we would for ourselves. Maybe couples aren't willing to do couples therapy, but through family therapy, they can work on their
3: dynamics here. What would you recommend and how can they make positive steps? This comes from my mentor. Michael Yapko has said this to me, and it really stuck as a life-changing differentiation is that how do you differentiate between something that impacts you personally and something that you are to take personally? Right now, with all of the stuff that's going on with the pandemic and all the changes that are being thrust upon us, they are going to impact us personally. But being able to step back and recognize that what your partner is doing is not generally on purpose to impact you in a way that you need to take personally. If they don't make the meal the way you want it, if they don't match the socks the way you think that they should be matched, if they don't put the dishes away the way that you think they should be put away, it is not because they are plotting against you to try and raise your level of irritation. You have to own your own level of irritation. So differentiating between what impacts you personally and what you need to take personally is enormously helpful in a relationship. And I speak from personal experience because I've been married for 30 years, just had my 30th wedding anniversary. I know that that makes a huge difference. The other thing that I would say is that if you are thinking about flexibility and accepting that what people do will not be equal in the micro, so it, it's not a token economy. It's not, well, well, I spent this much time with the kids, so now you have to spend this much time in the kids. You've got to look at it at, in the big picture. You cannot equal it out. And couples get in a lot of fights in terms of co-parenting. Well, you went and golfed all day that time that I had to take the kids and blah, blah, blah. If you're keeping track, if you're keeping a ledger of the amount of time you spend with your kids and you're using that as a weapon against your partner, things are going to go poorly. So step back and look at the big picture of how you support each other and recognize that, that there are going to be times when it's really unequal. Just as you were saying, Robin, if you are breastfeeding a baby, it's going to be unequal during that time. It's just the way that it is. And then I think if you can get away from needing to defend yourself when you're having these discussions, and this is something that we've been talking about this in so many different contexts, but if you can stay away from defending yourself. So when somebody asks you to do something, or when they say, you know, I really need you to help me more with this, rather than taking it as a personal attack that then you have to have an argument against, why don't you just say yes? In fact, I have one family where the homework assignment is, is that when somebody else asks them to do something, they say yes, instead of no. That's what they're working on. It's made a huge difference in the dynamics of the family. So if somebody says, Can you get me a glass of water? They say yes. If somebody says, Can you go upstairs and make sure that you're, you know, that you put your laundry away? They say yes. It is amazing how the tension in that family has decreased based on that one small shift. I love that. Getting away from defensiveness, getting away from treating it like a competition, getting away from thinking that people are doing things to to irritate you on purpose. Maybe they're irritating you, but that's not their goal. All of those things take down that level of resentment and allow you to have different types of conversations in your family about helping each other out.
1: It's interesting when you talk about that, when in fact a couple's communicating well, the children is watching what's being modeled. They then have a model to then behave well with each other, then back with the parents. It's really like nothing happens in a vacuum. Like a family right. is its own organic system. That's right. And the ecosystem constantly needs
3: pruning and weeding and, and hard work. And this is something that is so interesting to me over and over and over again, and will probably continue to be interesting to me, is how defensive parents get when i talk to them about the impact of their modeling on their children and they you know of course the immediate response is that they're they they think they're being blamed they think that i'm criticizing them they they think that they're not doing a good enough job i really want them to look at it from the perspective of of course your children are learning from you of course what you model has an impact on how then they will see relationships and how then they will be agreeable with their siblings and that kind of stuff. So again, if we can lose that defensiveness and just really accept that social family culture is incredibly powerful and can be incredibly powerful in a positive way that you're, I love what you're saying Robin, is that it always needs to be pruned and weeded and adjusted and sometimes we need to transplant this and move this over here. It just is the way that family culture is and it's so powerful and we can use it in such a positive way
1: It's just the foundation for really keeping the family healthy. It makes me think of the anxiety audit and what a critical tool it is for parents.
3: As I say so often, we can get caught up in the psychobabble of things and pathologizing things, of worrying about what's wrong with our kids. And I really just want to simplify it. I really want to put it in language that says, as there are patterns that we get caught up in, that we don't know that we're even doing it, that they are not uncommon at all, particularly after the year that we've just had. And it really is so important for us to take a step back, look at our own patterns, figure out how we're perhaps transmitting our own stress and anxiety to our kids and to figure out how to interrupt that. That's what the anxiety audit is about.
1: It's for parents to go through to really recognize those anxious patterns for themselves.
3: Right. You know, I meet with so many families and the parents that I talk to love their children, adore their children, want the best for their children. And so they come in saying, I need to help my child. And sometimes the first step is really, how do you look at your own patterns so that you can help your child? Because a lot of what we do as parents comes from the most wonderful place. It's just that we all come into parenting, certainly with our own baggage, but also just with the remnants of what life throws at us. And it really is so important that we step back and look at our patterns so that we can do what we want for our kids. Right. And you can't even talk about this without the context of 2020 as well. Of course. How many parents would say, uh, yeah, no, everything went really smoothly. We went through 2020 being challenged to handle big emotions, having to adapt, feeling overwhelmed, sometimes even feeling panicky. And if we remember that anxiety wants certainty and comfort... 2020 was not that year. And maybe what 2020 did was sort of help you recognize patterns that had been around for a long time that now it's really okay for you to look at and for you to interrupt. So we have the recorded version, and then we also have this live event so that if you have questions, you will have access. So it'll be interactive, which is pretty cool, I think.
1: So you can do the anxiety audit on your own? Or you can complete the workshop live with Lynn on March 6th. The first sold out, the second one will too. I keep thinking of the movie, This is 40. Did you see that movie? Yes, a long time ago. Yeah, I'm going to bring up Celebrity Wife Swap again. One of the messages was that the couple were sort of always at each other's throats away for some hotel weekend. I think they actually get really stoned and they have this great time and and then they, they drive up to their home feeling connected again and then maybe their daughter pukes on them the second they come home. <laughs> like, something like that. I, I haven't yeah. seen it in a long time either. But again, I think that th- coming back to that point about I hadn't really made this connection of how deep a celebrity wife swap really was. But that shows that couples don't really tend to connect and know how to have fun or joy again in the presence of their domestic and parenting responsibilities. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really big issue for a lot of us, right? Like Our home is where it, it brings us joy, but it's also the dishes, the laundry, the work, all of those shoulds that we know we have to do. And it's really lucky for families to learn how to create a culture of fun in the home where there's something to counterbalance all of the work that is required. Like if you're going to put all this work into running a home, what are the what are the the emotional benefits of doing that? Right. That's actually one of the things that, as a travel writer, we were traveling all the time for several years. And you you know, so many people love being on vacation, and who doesn't, right? You love being on vacation, and even when mm-hmm. you're traveling, you were away from your home, and you had that sort of liberation. So it just felt free and easy. But after a while, I started really thinking about how do I create a sense of joy and connection that we definitely could get to really easily when we were away like life is short how do I bring that into our home in a way that I did not feel like it was I felt like we could really connect quickly the second we got out and then when we would come back I would step into our home with our suitcases and I would just feel that sense of pressure of how clean we have to keep the home and where does all the stuff come from all the
3: time right it was just a burden that is that That is such a good point, because one of the things that this pandemic has forced us to do, as we know, is to be in our homes. And I was listening. Uh, Judd Apatow was just on uh, a podcast that I listened to, and he was talking about that very scene between Paul Rudd and Leslie Mann, who's his wife in real life. And he was talking about how, when they got out of the context of their home, they rediscovered their what why they fell in love in the first place. And I was listening to that, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's so true. You need to go away and have breaks." But then I'm listening to what you're saying right now. Why are we just focused Focusing on connecting when we get out of the home. I heard this woman speak
1: and she said, if you have the ability and, you know, some people do and was like, if you want to connect with your partner, try and get out of your home every six weeks. She had a term. She said the home is the sexual evaporator Oh, because you can't ever be really present in your home because you're constantly thinking of your checklist of everything you have to do. So I thought that made a lot of sense. And so I always loved travel because it was just fun and easy. But eventually you say to yourself, this is how I want to be all the time. I don't want to just feel good and happy when we're away. I want to create a life I don't want to take a vacation from. Right. So that was the very powerful shift that I have been working on for the last few years of I've gained all this insight of all of those ways that being away from the home feels good. How do I bring that home in this place of joy? In the stress of the pandemic, especially Mm -hmm. those first months when we were adapting to these new truths about things, my friends are like, this this is so stressful. and And all I want to do because I'm stressed is book a trip. And I said, I know what you're feeling, but what are we trying, when we travel, what are we really ultimately trying to escape from? Now we're stuck at home. I think I enjoyed escaping my home and now I'm here. So what do I do about it? Right. And it's just a lot of
3: spiritual lessons. Well, it's making me think about when my husband and I used to go to Montana before we had kids. We went once when we had um, my older son when he was a little tiny baby. But one of the things that was so amazing about that trip is that we were absolutely cut off from media. And this was even before. So this was in 1995. Like this was, you know, in another world. And so as you're thinking about that, I'm thinking, I can do that in my home. I think that's the—that's what we're saying is that why are we saving all the good stuff for when we're on vacation? Because if you're coming back from a vacation and as soon as you walk through the door, you're like, oh, crap, I'm back in my life. That says something, doesn't it? What do you take from that time on vacation that you can then incorporate into the time with your family, which is sort of, you know, we're all on one big staycation here, whether we like it or not. I think that's such a, I think that's such an interesting thing to think about.
1: What well, you had this great story that I still get goosebumps when I was listening to the last podcast episode of, of how powerful a shift can be for when parents take away the phones with some of their teens or tweens. And how they say they got their kid back. Mm-hmm. And you describe that. And I'm just curious if there is something that has happened where imagine if there were certain parents who liked to really not be in the moment and hide mm-hmm. behind their own screens and their phones, you know, if they could also have their
3: phones taken away at home and what that would look like too. Yeah, I have had families where, it, and we, we sort of will say like kids need to get the, get off the screens. I've had families where I've had to tell the parents not to bring their iPads and their phones to the dinner table because the parents are sitting there literally with their phone or even their laptop open do, doing work during a family dinner. And and again, think of, think of the, the kids that are 15 now are going to be parents when, you know, in 10 or 20 years and they've had these habits of having their devices with them at all times. So we can see now with young parents it's already it's already sort of coming to coming to roost a little bit. I think that what you're saying about travel and coming in your home and what What are the elements of travel and being away from your home that you want to incorporate into your own family life? I think that may even be more profound than your story about Celebrity Wipes.
1: Well, it's not travel, it's vacation, just to clarify, right? It's bringing that vacation element, because what do we define as vacation to bring into the
3: home? You're right, because when I think of work travel, I don't really think about how much fun that is.
1: I'm still going with my Celebrity Wife swap story, but I'm glad that you like the other two.
3: Maybe I can't choose. Maybe the profundity is just so all-encompassing that I won't even need to sort of sort it out. I'll just let it all be there.
1: But you know, here's what it ultimately is is that we can't escape the work of being parents and we might as well make it as fun as we can.
3: Yes. Yes. I think that's a I think that's a wonderful takeaway. I think that's a great place to stop. I'm gonna go watch Celebrity Wife Swap. <laughs> right. I'm going to watch the episode with Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin. Oh, wait, they weren't on Celebrity Wipes. (laughs) I'll talk to you soon.
1: So join the Facebook group so that you can ask Lynn your question on an upcoming episode.
3: And thanks for joining us for another episode of Fluster Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn.